Welcome back, everybody, to episode 17 of the Direct Podcast. Today, we are reviewing episode three of WandaVision. We will also touch on the recent Black Widow rumors. And later, we talk about the history of Marvel Comics with the director of comicbook.com, Jim Viscardi. Peep the time codes to jump ahead. Let's get it. Truth is, I am a Jedi. And I am burdened with glorious purpose. (laughs) Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky. See you in a minute. I'm mad. I could do this all day. This is the way. But I'm also a big fan of justice. I'm vengeance. I'll show you the dark side. Why did you say that, man? Come on. Let's get nuts. Assemble. Here we go, episode 17, the direct podcast. We are back. We got a ton to talk about today. I am the Scarlet Matt Rimke, joined as always by my co-host. He is very tall. He is very handsome. He is very young. The Colossus of Clicks, Mr. Liam Crowley. Matt, I don't know what I I did to deserve such a kind introduction, but you've been killing it with these intros uh, lately. Man, I'm doing my best to make it my thing. You know what I mean? I, 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 uh, I'm a Bruce Buffer fan, you know, by heart. And you know, oh, I'm yeah. just like, I want, I want people to be psyched to be talking about this shit. And that's including yeah. you, Liam. That's including yes. you. I'm trying to put you in the best spot that you could possibly be to have a great show. And you know what? Everybody listening, I've looked ahead. This is going to be the best one yet. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm feeling good too. I'm feeling good too. But uh, to to get that energy from you, it's uh, it's inspiring for sure. Dude, there's hey, all gas, no brakes, New York Jets. <laughs> Amen um, to that. So you know, Liam, have you had a good week? You know, have you had a have you had a solid week coming off? You know, the first two episodes of Wandavision, waiting an entire week for episode three. Like, what was that like? You know, like how how was your time over these past seven days? I'm not going to lie. I started looking at my calendar quite a bit. I was like, it's Tuesday. Oh, uh, we're getting closer. And that's why, that's why I'm always so uh, wanting to stay up for the 3 a.m. release because I just, I get to that point where I just can't wait any longer. I did go to bed. I caught it around 9 a.m. this morning, you know, do it, pull in a Matt Remke, um, maybe a little (laughs) later than, than you watch it. But uh, (laughs) um, regardless, now it was was 30 in the morning. (laughs) Jeez, good for you. I'm I'm trying to get there. Hopefully by Falcon Winter Soldier time, we'll be there. But uh, it was a good week. I went up to New Hampshire to ski a little bit. Probably last run of the season because, you know, semester is quickly approaching. But uh, yeah, it was good to to get away, hit the slopes and all that. And uh, yeah, enjoy this weather for what it is. Beautiful. Beautiful stuff, man. How about you? How about you? Not just about me. How was your week, Matt? It was great. And that's the end of the sentence. I'm just excited to talk about this shit. You know what I mean? I'm excited to get the ball rolling because guys, like I said last week, this is a new generation for the direct podcast. And first and foremost, we want to thank all of you. We want to thank the listeners. Please tell your friends about us. If you're having a good time, if you're not having a good time, act like it never existed. Hit us up on Apple podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found, all that stuff. And also make sure to follow us on Twitter at Matt Rimke. M-A-T-T-R-O-E-M, B as a boy, K-E, and at Liam T. Crow. And Matt, I, I teased it last week. Hmm. I teased that we were going to we were gonna do something over the weekend, and hmm. we did just that. We hit 10,000 downloads, baby. <laughs> I mean, come on, come on. Yeah. This is, it's, it's a great, 
uh, milestone for this uh, podcast so far. Obviously, it's only the beginning. We're only going to keep growing, keep getting stronger, keep building this community. But that being said, I did want to celebrate this milestone a little bit. Me and Matt wanted to give back to all the loyal listeners. So we teased it last week. We're making it official. The first ever direct giveaway. All you have to do to enter to win a Pop Funko from WandaVision. That's right. I will be purchasing a Pop Funko from WandaVision, shipping it directly to your house. All you have to do is hashtag the direct podcast on Twitter. Follow both myself and Matt Remke. As he said, our Twitter handles, Matt. Uh, M-A-T-T-R-O-E-M-B as in boy, K-E. Spelt the whole name for you. Got it right it down. Is. And at Liam T. Crowley. And give us your favorite WandaVision character. It can be anyone. It can be Wanda Maximoff, Vision, Agnes. Maybe you like Hub. Maybe you even like Jimmy Woo. Even though he hasn't shown up yet, let us know who you like. And uh, we'll be sure to go through all the uh, tweets, pick out a winner, announce it on this podcast, and then uh, hit me in my DMs and I'll send you uh, the Pop Funko when you toss me your address. There you go. The first ever direct giveaway. Hashtag the direct podcast. We want to hear from you. But, you know, that's not the only thing the direct has going on this week, Liam. No, sir. Coming out, probably released when you're listening to this. It depends on when you're listening. But there's a very good chance right now on the direct.com. We have our very first exclusive direct interview. We We are so excited. For this interview, one of our Star Wars writers, Savannah, she got to talk to the legendary Lucasfilms poster artist, Mark Wraith. It's incredible. Have you seen this interview yet, Liam? It's special, yeah. I it's such it a good really time. Too. Listening to this guy talk about you know the way these legendary Star Wars and other Lucasfilm posters get made. I mean, there's nothing better than a good Star Wars poster, and this guy is the number one expert in the world on the subject. So make sure to check out the direct.com for exclusive interview with Mark rates. Liam, I got a quick question. We're going to start this thing off. You ready? Hit me with it. We, like we said, um, I think last week when we were talking to BD, we kind of like started this podcast right in line with the Mandalorian on Disney plus Mandalorian season two. That is, and, you know, it was it was really fun to kind of take that show week by week, along with taking this podcast week by week. And we are now three episodes into Marvel's first Disney Plus run at WandaVision. There is a lot of conversation on the Twitters about, you know, man, I wish all these episodes were just out already. I want to plow through these. And there's also a lot of other people who love the week by week format. Liam, I just wanted to ask you, with these big comic book universes, you know, DC, Marvel, Star Wars, all taking a real firm grasp of the episodic storytelling that these streaming services have to offer. What do you prefer? A more traditional streaming release like a, you know, uh, they dump like what, like eight, 10 episodes on Netflix and you can watch them all at once? Usually, yeah. Do you prefer the binge or do you, are you enjoying the week by week experience that Disney plus has given us. So as, as frustrating as it can be in the early weeks, cause we all want to, you know, get the big payoff immediately. I very much appreciate the week by week release a lot more because when it comes to a, a binge show, depending on how much of a staple it is of pop culture, if WandaVision was released all at once, we would both have seen the entire season by now, not just because we're interested as, as fans and we want to talk about it uh, on a podcast, but you kind of feel like an external pressure because everyone's already talking about it on Twitter. 
And if person X already knows the finale, I'm going to feel like, oh, geez, I can't go on social media until I sit down and binge this show. So I like the patience of going week by week, even though early episodes, as I did kind of say last week, I got a little frustrated with with the first couple episodes because I thought they were a little bit slow. You know, we're picking up pace as the weeks go on. And I, I like that gradual increase. I like the snowball mentality. I liked getting to, to watch you on, on these uh, Zoom calls for our podcast each week with The Mandalorian. Just the smile just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah. that doesn't happen if, if you drop it all at once. Because if you drop it all at once, we hop on these microphones in October and we only talk about Luke Skywalker. We don't, yeah. we don't talk about how awesome the crate Dragon stuff was and how great the story building was and the character moments and all that. So I very much am a week to week guy when it comes to these shows. You know, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. If you remember early in our Mando season two reviews, I, I talked about how going back and binging season one of the Mandalorian is you know, was for me a better experience than watching it week by week. Um, obviously, you know, all this conversation kind of depends on the kind of story they're telling. You know, Netflix kind of caters their shows to be bingeable and you kind of watch them all at once. And it's like a, you know, a hyper movie, you know, a, a super extended cut of a movie almost it feels like. But with this week to week, you know, the anticipation, the storytelling, like you said, you know, us being able to talk about the intricacies of each episode instead of the scope of the entire season. I also love the community behind these shows really getting a chance to shine in between each episode. You know, with Star Wars, you got a lot of that, especially when they started introducing the Filoni stuff. But, you know, the smart, we all know that, you know, MCU stands are a different breed of people on the internet. You know, we are the screenshot analyzers. We are the devoted to our characters, screw you if you don't like them kind of people and in the best way possible. Seeing the MCU community get behind or get against these episodes of WandaVision over these past two weeks has been so exciting and so fun to really just see new takes. Like every time I hop on Twitter, you know, get on Twitter two, three times a day and really look at stuff. Every time I do, I feel like I see a new take or a new screenshot or a new GIF from WandaVision that I just immediately fall in love with. So, you know, the week by week stuff, like you're right, it is a little frustrating. A lot of people are going to say, especially with the MCU being as established as it is, it is more difficult for new fans to really get behind it in a week-by-week format because you tend to lose interest because you don't analyze it as much as somebody who's seen all other 23 movies. Step one, go watch all other 23 movies. <laughs> like, And step B, you know, becoming a part of this community is really fun. I encourage everybody to do it. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, but... You know, speaking of the community, people have listened to this podcast, they come here for a reason. And that reason is, Liam, they want the news. Here it comes. The Sizzle Reel. Twenty twenty one, we hardly knew you. Hollywood reporters Boris Kitt reported that Sony Pictures has delayed the release of Morbius yet again to January of two thousand twenty two, and unfortunately, that is a pretty telling sign for other blockbusters on the release schedule. Variety is giving us plenty of speculation ammo regarding the release date of Black Widow. While nothing is official, it seems highly likely that Natasha Romanoff's solo film in the MCU will be delayed again. Will we get a Disney Plus premium release or will they keep pushing this thing, potentially affecting other projects? We truly don't know. 
And now that we're all depressed again, let's transition into more Marvel speculation on comicbook.com's Phase Zero podcast. Thanos co-creator Jim Starlin teased the return of Thanos in the upcoming Eternals movie. To what degree, we do not know yet, but it does make a lot of sense. And you know we're going to keep going with the Marvel stuff, guys. In a recent interview with Rotten Tomatoes, the King of Kings himself, Kevin Feige, confirms that the multiverse being introduced in the MCU will continue past Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Switching things over to the DC side of things, specifically on The CW, first trailer for Superman and Lois dropped this week and features some great looks at what life in Smallville will look like for our favorite super couple. And also shows some heavy Krypton vibes. And finally, news from a galaxy far, far away. The worst news we could possibly get. Rogue One's fan-favorite droid K2SO actor Alan Tudyk has confirmed that the beloved droid will not be appearing in the upcoming Andor series on Disney+. Plus. R.I.P. in peace, K2SO. And for more updates on things like Ant-Man, Quantumania, Thor Love and Thunder, the Batman animated series, and much more, make sure to check out the direct.com. Liam, what a packed sizzle reel. A lot of things happening. We got Superman news. We got Star Wars news. We got a ton of Marvel news. Which story would you like to dive a little deeper into? I feel like we got to start with the Morbius news because even though not a lot of people admittedly care for Morbius, the domino effects of this story are massive. Um, Morbius was originally slated to come out, I believe it was in March, like very recent. And then that got bumped all the way to October later this year. And now it's bumped again. So it was changed. It changed release dates twice in like the past couple of weeks, which is just crazy because it shows that Sony just doesn't have faith in even meeting an October release date um, or just a fall release date in general of later this year. And they're moving it to January in hopes that, you know, life will somewhat normalize by then. But the, the potential domino effects of this story are that this could be a telling sign that Spider-Man 3 would also move. Now, I put this on Twitter uh, yesterday, time of recording when the news dropped. And a lot of people were saying, well, Marvel's not going to let a Sony shift change any of their plans. And sure. while I completely agree, this Spider-Man 3 at the end of the day is a Sony property. It's a Sony project. They control when that movie comes out. Sure, they'll play nice and they want that to come out before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, since we know Kevin Feige says that Spidey 3 will lead directly into the Strange sequel. Not only will Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness connect directly to the events of WandaVision, but it will also connect to the events of our new Spider-Man film coming to theaters December 2021. But the reality is, whatever Sony's doing with their own Sonyverse, if Morbius is supposed to be a big player going forward, potentially being a member of this Multiverse Sinister Six that they're setting up, that movie would likely need to come out before Spider-Man 3. Like, if we look at the original schedule, Morbius was supposed to hit theaters summer of last year, about a year and a half before Spidey 3 was ever expected to, to land in theaters. That would have given audiences a good, you know, 18 months to really marinate with this character, get the idea of Morbius, this living vampire, the Spider-Man antagonist, Jared Leto himself, really ingrained in their minds. And now we're looking at a situation with, as of right now, Morbius comes out a month after Spider-Man 3. 
not saying that Jared Leto is whatever, like necessarily appear in Spidey three, but who knows the, the cast is already super stacked as is the, the reality though, is if they are trying to set up a big sinister six type type thing and Morbius is a player in that, it makes me believe that Spidey three would have to be delayed. If that uh, makes any sense, it's, it's kind of all over the place, but you know, these, these release dates are all integral. Right. And, you know, it makes a ton of sense. You know, I never really thought about it from the view of the Spider-Man story specifically. Um, But, you know, I thought of it just more from an industry standpoint. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again. Unfortunately, this is not our first, you know, big release shift out of nowhere over the past year or so. You know, we've had two or three instances where a wave of schedule changes have come for these big movies that we're all excited for. And it all kind of starts with something like Morbius getting pushed and Morbius is not the only movie that has been pushed lately. There's a lot of other properties and a lot of other studios, Disney included that has moved things around recently due to the lack of progress in getting movie theaters as open as somebody wants them i'm not sure if it's government officials keeping everybody safe i'm not sure if it's movie studio heads you know wanting to hit a floor of people that could possibly get into the theaters which you know i'm sure safety is a part of that as well but i you know i think of it more from an industry standpoint and we all know exactly what project is always in the first line of sight anytime one of these movies gets loaded up it's black widow you know the 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 forever fleeting black widow movie that's supposed to be the first movie of phase four of the mcu um you know he the rumors have been flying out there there's a very good chance this movie gets pushed again and you know the question at this point now that we've gotten wandavision on disney plus and it's a raging success i think at least you know from a critical standpoint people are loving it how long how many times will Marvel Studios and Disney push Black Widow before they just kind of punt and put it on Disney Plus for a premium price? The price at this point, like I mentioned earlier with MCU fans, I'm not sure the price matters. This isn't Mulan. This is Black Widow. This is Scarlett Johansson's moment in the MCU. Everybody wants to see it. The price, I don't think, is something people are worried about. It's the bottom line. And, you know, I how how many times can this get pushed? How many more times can this movie get pushed before it really starts affecting other parts of the MCU in phase four? You know, I obviously Black Widow is a prequel story, something that doesn't have the biggest impact moving forward in, in the MCU. But one of the rules of Marvel Cinematic Universe, everything matters. We cannot go into this movie expecting nothing to be touched on that will affect the future of the MCU. How many movies can get pushed ahead of this before it really changes a lot of the storytelling aspect of it? It's just, I feel like Disney plus it has to happen. And I just don't understand why they are being so stubborn on that for this particular movie, you know, for black widow specifically, I just feel like it's time. It's also, it's a good point you raise about how, how much more can it get delayed? Because Phase four is officially underway. Like, you know, once we, once we hit, once we hit start on that clock, the clock's going to have to keep running. 
And you could, you could take the off year with, with 2020 and, you know, wait a full calendar year of, okay, we're going to wait till the world at least normalizes a little bit and push all our projects. But now since WandaVision is actively running now, since we have release dates set in stone for Falcon winter soldier and Loki, the, the universe is going to keep moving. And if Black Widow is positioned to need to come out between a Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki or need to come out between a Loki and a Shang-Chi, it's got to drop at that point. So it gets really, really murky in that situation because, you know, like you said, how, how much longer can you actually wait? I think the shelf life of Black Widow is by the summer of this year, this movie has to come out just to keep the story progressing further. I know it is a prequel, but there's been heavy rumors about Thunderbolt stuff being set up in there or the Black Widow quote-unquote franchise kicking off. We mentioned Hawkeye. Uh, it's a direct.com exclusive. Yolanda Belova is confirmed to have a role in that series. If we don't see her on screen before that, how impactful is her role? Hawkeye is a Disney Plus show. If that is ready to release in the fall, it's gonna release in the fall. Black Widow needs to come out before it. So I think to answer your question, as I'm thinking, as I'm talking, the summer is essentially the, the ground zero, the last resort possibility for Black Widow to either make that theatrical release or have to get moved to Disney+. And you think Hawkeye is that, you know, target project that causes that timeline because, you know, Shang-Chi could get moved ahead of it, I think. You know, we don't know exactly what tie-in is going to affect. You know, there's been rumors of a Falcon and the, and the Winter Soldier tie-in with black widow um you know they can move that around they can make you know they can record another post credit scene real quick that can happen but you know it, it you're right i feel like shang chi is probably the only one that can get pushed before it. eternals could as well but um yeah hawkeye seems to be the project that's really going to be the deciding factor for black widow on disney plus and my you know my big thought behind this is like we talked when hbo max made the move that put a pretty big knife in the back of movie theaters, you know, to release their entire 2021 slate congruently in theaters and on HBO max. We talked about how Warner brothers will not dictate what Disney does. That's just not that how that's not where the, uh, the power shift is right now. Disney plus will not be influenced by what Warner brothers does all in all on the whole. People are more excited about Disney projects. It's just a fact, but, um, you know, Disney plus has that option. They tested with Mulan. I know it wasn't hyper successful, but like having people pay for the movie on Disney plus, it's not about subscribers. You know, it's not about, well, how many more people can we really add after WandaVision? Because if you're coming for black widow, you've probably already came for WandaVision. So like, where's the real success? The success is though. How many, what percentage of Disney plus subscribers are going to buy black widow? Not, or at least rent black widow for whatever price it is. Like at this point, I just feel like that number, whatever they decide that Disney plus premium number to be, I just can't imagine that not being enough bit of it to get it out already. Like with this one specifically. Absolutely. I, I'm really looking at the summer of like that hard deadline. But as you mentioned, it, it's not so much about what, what like new subscribers it'll rope in. It's about how much money it can make on its own. Because at the end of the day, if they're going to charge 30 bucks for Black Widow, you're you're going into that with like a family mentality of, you know, mm -hmm. we got we got four people watching this movie together. But for for people like me and you, at least for for me especially uh, at my college apartment, I'm probably renting this movie for myself myself alone. 
So all of a sudden you've made three times what I would be paying for a theatrical ticket. So it is kind of a gray area that they will lose money when you got a bunch of people in one room coming together for like a big pay-per-view type event, but they'll actually make more money when you have the one person renting for, you know, possibly three times the ticket value at a theater. So it still will likely make a profit. I mean, I don't think anyone's disputing that, but it just does remain to be seen what the difference would be between streaming and theaters. Because this movie last year, a billion easily. I don't think anyone's questioning uh, Black so. Widow making... With with the hype behind the MCU at, at sure. that point in 2020, Spider-Man had never reached a billion before I mean, Far From Home put it on I would have seen it. I would have seen it twice. So, you know, there's yeah, my oh. part. You know, it takes all of us, Liam. Yeah. <laughs> Have you not heard? Um, it's a team. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you're right. What's the bottom line? You know, like, you know, what is that difference? It's it's going to not make as much money as originally projected. That is something everybody has dealt with. But it's just what does that number turn to for these Marvel execs to give us what we want? So, you know, we'll see, guys. It's a fluid situation. Make sure to keep listening to the direct podcast. We'll keep you up to date. But for a little more detailed updates on all of these schedule changes and how it impacts the MCU, Star Wars, and DCU moving forward, make sure to check out thedirect.com. Of course, Liam, it's time. I think it's about that time. division episode three, live in color. Welcome in to our WandaVision review, episode three, and what an episode it was. I mean, you know, let's just dive right into it. I don't think there's a lot of primer we need to get into. Last week, we saw Wanda and Vision living their lives in Westview, and, you know, the main storyline was they were two superpower beings trying to fit in, but there seems to be a mystery, and that led us into this week. Let's give our initial thoughts before we get into spoiler territory. Liam, your overall thoughts on episode three. In the beginning, I felt like dragged just a little bit just because of how, um, what's the word, claustrophobic I kind of felt because the whole episode kind of takes place in the house. You know, we don't really get outside of it. What a house, though. What a house. Yeah, that was right? such a cool house. A <laughs> lot, of, lot of throwback vibes to, to the yeah. Brady Bunch for sure. So cool. But... What I will say, because I, I, I don't want to give initial thoughts that are only negative, the story building they do in this episode, like chills, like the especially like it's weird to call it act three of, you know, a 25 minute sitcom style episode. But the third act of this episode, some of the Great. most intriguing and fan investing I've ever felt uh, when it comes to a Marvel project because the movies move so quick. You know, it's hard to have a moment where you're like, oh my God, I'm so excited for the next two hours. But for this, because it's so different storytelling, um, as we mentioned at the top of the show with the week to week and having to wait, it just gets me so jazzed for, for the future uh, of, of this season. And even beyond that, I'm noticing with, we've only watched for two weeks now, but I've seen a lot of trailer footage being used. There's not a whole lot yeah. left in these trailers. Yeah. So that's going to show we're going to get pretty shocked as the weeks go on. So overall, uh, you can count me as invested this week. 
Yeah, I was I was going to bring that up because I knew that's something that you're always interested in. How much footage oh, yeah. have we seen? And, you know, it's where we ate that trailer footage up pretty quick. And a lot of the trailer footage for this episode specifically was in the intro. You know what I mean? Like the, a lot of the screenshots we got of this episode were done in the first 45 seconds. Like, like you know, we got a lot of new stuff. Um, this episode for me, I had three thoughts and they're all pretty quick. One um i enjoyed the lack of balance because like you said the beginning was slow the ending was hot but i enjoyed that they you know they they really were patient and patient and patient within this 30 minute realm and then they hit us with a lot of really interesting storytelling like you said um i think elizabeth olsen is going to stir up a lot of emmy um nominations i think she has really proven she is one of the better actors out there like she is she's phenomenal she's truly phenomenal i know you know i'm a wanda fanboy i'm a lizzie olsen fanboy all that stuff but she is she's the shit i mean she's she's got everything going on for her and she's incredibly talented especially in this role um and my last thing you know just for the story itself this is the episode that has pushed the ship out of the harbor and we have set sail on this incredible mystery that we are about to unravel. And I feel like this is a really big jumping off point. If you weren't invested yet, or you have friends or family who kind of gave up right away, say, tell, go to them and say, Hey, rewatch these first three episodes, binge the first hour and a half, because next week we're going, it's game time. Like things are going to start happening in episode four. And it's going to, this entire show is going to shift. And, you know, we just got to get right into it. So, spoilers, 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 spoiler. You know, that's that's how we should do this, right? Just say spoiler over and over. Just a spoiler vomit. Just spoiler, it's, spoiler, it's, spoiler, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. I just feel spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. I feel like there's something more creative we can do. I just don't know what it is. We need to workshop it a little bit. But yeah. for now, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, we're going to walk through kind of the biggest elements of this episode last week. We kind of walked through, you know, what the different aspects of this entire show is going to be this week. We're going to focus specifically on episode three. Um, and we're going to start with, you know, just the overall tone, the sitcom versus reality balance. And this is kind of the, the crux confusion, the dual storyline thing that, you know, people are trying their best to figure out. Obviously there's one storyline, the sitcom style storyline that is happening within Westview in the TV show, WandaVision, um, you know, where it's Viz and Wanda trying to just live their lives, get along. Now they're having kids and, um, you know, trying to keep their superpowered identities under wraps. And then there's the secondary storyline, the B-plot, the actual reality, the MCU reality, where someone, something, some entity is trying to navigate the A-plot. So it's, it's an interesting thing because it really is. It's not just the A-plot works with the B-plot. It's A-plot versus B-plot. Like, that's, that's a rivalry in this, in this show right now is the sitcom reality versus the real reality, and Wanda's the head of it. Um, so, Liam... How did we feel about the balance between sitcom and real world, real world reality in episode three, maybe even compared to episodes one and two? Much, much betterly balanced uh, this week for sure. Betterly? I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to roll. I think we should roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, Call the dictionary people. 
Yeah. So this episode, what I really enjoyed was that obviously we're in spoiler territory now. So I'm about to about to get specific here. Spoiler, 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 um, spoiler, spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> Once we get into, you know, she gives birth and and we see, you know, the twin babies and you have the two different um, elements of something's amiss here going on simultaneously. That's what yeah. I really, really enjoyed because it almost doubles up the intrigue because not only do you have Wanda, you know, kind of swaying into like a little Sokovian accent. She's singing a very Sokovian song. Uh, I, I, had, I am a twin. I had a brother, Pietro, Ultron, blah, blah, blah. And then outside, <laughs> Vision is talking to Hub and Agnes and Hub is saying, you know, uh, talking about something's going on and she's here, but she doesn't have a family. Uh, I'm saying a lot of different stuff. Herb, Herb. I said Hub, didn't I? You did say hope, but it's okay. It's her. And I'll tell you right now, um, uh, shout out to my mom's basement, the Barstool podcast that covers this stuff. The number one Herb podcast in the world. They are Herb stands in a really big way because he is kind of the man. (laughs) He's fantastic. He's he's got a charisma about him that I'm just naturally just looking forward to seeing what he does each week. But find out. The uh, the balance, like I said, between the sitcom stuff, even though I felt like it dragged at times. I thought they cut it off at the perfect point. I thought it built up to, to something. And even though, you know, some of the, the zany stuff with the stork and everything going on, kind of at, at moments I was like, you know, enjoying it. And then I was like, all right, let's keep moving. And then yep. they kept moving. It was very appropriately paced, I think is a good way to describe this week. And yeah, once we got into the big story plot stuff, I found myself, you know, you perk up a little bit. You're, you're sitting down, you're laying back on the couch and then, you know, I'm a twin. Whoop. Oh wait! Oh, what you, you are just say? A twin. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the balance this week, uh, as Thanos would call it, I would I would call it perfect. There you go. You see, and that's what we want. And you know, off the top, the sitcom stuff. It, it's weird to talk about this episode because it feels like you know anybody who's watching all these reviews online or listening to podcasts like this talking about this specific episode, the majority of the conversation falls in the last ten minutes of the show. Yeah, You know what I mean? The first 20 minutes does get tossed by the wayside retroactively, but it was funny. You know, this was a funny episode. Paul Bettany and Lizzie Olsen, they are hilarious together. Um, the, the, the chaotic nature of that birth I thought was hilarious. Um, the stork thing went way too long. That stork joke was over two seconds after the first uh, laugh track for the first stork appearance. That yeah. I, I, I was in total cringe mode the entire time that stork was on screen. Hated it. Um, but my least favorite character of WandaVision so far, hands down, without a doubt, the Horatio Sands of WandaVision, that stork, <laughs> that specific stork. No other stork has that title on him quite yet. Um, but, um, I got some, I got some, uh, numbers for you. Numbers guy. Numbers. Not a math guy, but a numbers, numbers guy. guy. Right. So that's, you know, we talked about this last week. The balance between sitcom and MCU is going to be at the forefront every single week. Like that's going to be what people are kind of most anticipated. When does that sitcom MCU balance get closer to 50, 50 or even spill over to MCU more as the weeks go on? Um, You know, like I said earlier, it's a plot versus B plot sitcom versus the MCU reality. Um, And it's really interesting looking at these first three episodes, how they've, increased that balance in a real way and here is how i broke it down spent some time on this one today um 
So I, I looked at every moment throughout the first three episodes. Dude, there's only an hour and a half of the show. It is inc- it is incredibly digestible, the show. Oh, yeah. They are good watches. You know what I mean? They're they're clean. Um, About seven I, minutes of the runtime is credits, too. Oh, good Lord. These credits are yeah. long. What is that? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that long, I don't think. I, I don't remember it being. Oh, my good Lord. Well, they had the uh, concept art. Yeah. Remember that? Um, back to my point. Throughout this whole show, I found every instance where the MCU reality, where the outside force, where, you know, there's a major shift and it's it's not the sitcom anymore. And, you know, it, it's easy to find. There's only been r- really only five instances where the sitcom reality of Westview and WandaVision has broken. And, you know, in episode one, it was the dinner scene with the choking. It was the choking scene specifically, not the whole dinner scene, but that choking part. Um, episode two, there was the exchange with Dottie um, after the uh, town meeting. And then later on, obviously, with the beekeeper and no, our first look at reversing um, whatever's happening. And then in this episode, obviously, you know, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. The last 10 minutes are all broken reality stuff where, you know, she's dealing with the fact that some, you know, this isn't the sitcom life she's wanting to live. I looked at all those moments and I, and I, I timed each one of them and I saw what percentage of the show each episode was the MC reality at the forefront instead of the sitcom reality. So in episode one, like I said, the choking scene, it was roughly a minute and a half of we're not in a sitcom anymore. This is a real deal. Deborah Joe Rupp saying no one is telling vision to help, et cetera. That is 5% of the 30 minute total runtime of the show. Episode two, we have the Dottie exchange and then everything with the beekeeper. That is roughly, and this is all rough, but four minutes-ish. Four minutes of the outside reality making its way into the sitcom reality. So that's about 10%. So episode one to two, we went from 5% to 10%. We doubled. This episode, 10 minutes of the episode three was outside reality being at the forefront instead of sitcom reality, that's 30%. So from episodes one to two, we doubled. From episodes three to four, we tripled. And what's the cliffhanger of this episode is things are going to start getting real as far as the outside world coming in. So you see the incremental increase of that shift. And I just love how they this the show's pacing is done so well so far and keeping us intrigued but also giving us that sitcom storyline that is helping us re-fall in love with these characters and help and the unfortunate thing is what it's doing is it's reassuring us what wanda cares about she cares about vision she now cares about these kids she cares about fitting in she cares about keeping her secret under wraps living in this world and they're really doing a good job using the sitcom plot to build that up I assume just to knock us down with it, but um, it's, it's exciting. I love the twilight zone format specifically with this episode where the first 20 minutes weren't just silly sitcom. It was 100%, you know, Brady bunch style comedy dialogue, silly, you know, just giggling, funny stuff. You know, even if you didn't think it was that funny, you got to love how they commit so hard that first 20. And then it's not a gradual shift or it's not a tease. It is a, like you said, it is a left turn. As soon as that word twin pops out of Wanda's mouth, the whole, the whole thing's changed. The horns start coming into the background and you know, it's, it's, I really enjoyed how they punched us in the face with it this time, as opposed to last time where they were just, you know, giving us little jabs here and there. 
Absolutely. And the, the one most sudden shift of them all is even though, you know, it's building and it's building of something's amiss, we're still in that four, three aspect ratio. And then all of a sudden, Geraldine gets, gets sent through and the aspect ratio of four, three expands. And then it, it, it condenses on the side goes to 16, nine. I didn't realize how much I could pop for a aspect ratio change, but in, in the, what, probably 30 seconds we get of Geraldine in the outside world. It felt so MCU again. Uh Like you can tell the camera shots, the lighting, just the cinematography, the surrounding, just mystery, the, the, you know, cars showing up the helicopter with the spotlight. It's also MCU. And so even though the first couple episodes, as we said, have, you know, leaned more, as you said, with the wonderful numbers breakdown there of how sitcom heavy it is. Once we got that little tease of, oh no, we're, we're going to get back to the MCU feel you're familiar with. I just can't wait for that balance, as you said, to tilt in the MCU direction. It's so awesome. And, you know, next, you know, next thing I think we should move into is, you know, the Westview residents, you know, they've kind of been the, what people are keeping their eyes on as far as, you know, uh, you know, tipping their hand as far as, you know, how real is this reality? How much do people know? How aware are people of how much they know? And, and is it a case of people acting or is it a case of people breaking? And, you know, that's a big part of it, but real quick, since you were just talking about the production, you know, something, you know, that goes along with Westview as a whole playing a character in this show. Did you notice that when, you know, it was traditionally 70s shot the entire time, a lot of, you know, really like colorful poppy shots, deep backgrounds, even stuff like that. Um, did you notice once vision goes out to talk to Herb and Agnes and you hear that dramatic music playing and it gets really suspenseful and you can tell something's amiss. Did you happen to notice that the backdrop was no longer like a real scene? Like it was like a cardboard backdrop a few feet away from where the actors were behind Herb. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, no, I, I it looked very like jarring to me as a viewer. I got, I got that pointed out to me um, at some point on Twitter or Instagram today. And I had to go back and watch it. Like that is so creepy. Like, like it it adds such an eeriness to it because everything like feels very real. Like all incredible actors in the show are really convincing us that, you know, for, you know, for moments throughout the show, you get lost in the Westview thing. Like you kind of forget you're watching WandaVision and you're interested in the sitcom. You love it or hate it. You are. But dude, when I noticed that background and realized like this is a very fabricated life that everyone is living, I just thought that was a really awesome production note. But um, Liam, I want to ask you the Westview residents, who knows what, how much do they know? Um, you know, who is, who is, you know, playing a bigger role than maybe they're letting on, you know, we got a lot of Herb and Agnes showing their colors a little bit more in this episode. And Geraldine's a whole different thing, but like, you know, with, with the Westview residents specifically, you know, how are you interpreting everybody's role in whatever this mystery is? So this episode did kind of throw me for a loop because I always expected, even going into the show, that Agnes was the most knowledgeable neighbor and that she was really hamming it up to, to kind of give off this vibe of, oh, no, I'm just a normal neighbor. And because I'm acting such like it, you won't suspect anything. But that conversation she has with Herb and the fact that he obviously is 
leaning into revealing something that she doesn't want him to to vision it makes me think that herb is also in on whatever is going on and then we also get the doctor who comes along and mentions how he wants to go on vacation but it's difficult to escape and all that and he says it with such a, a shocked and kind of glazed look on his face yeah. as the weeks go on the neighbors feel a lot more it, a lot more human because the the prior weeks they kind of felt like literally supporting characters in wanda's reality this week especially they felt like their own individual persons and that's just a really intriguing part because i'm i'm watching westworld uh as as i'm watching this show wandavision um at the same time (laughs) and westworld literally deals with the idea of of synthesoid robots getting more um human and, and starting to question if they have consciousness or not and so watching it parallel and just kind of seeing the stuff that lines up I'm getting a lot of West Westworld vibes from Westview. Oh my God, it's all connected, Matt. Absolutely. Everything matters. It's the MCU. We're not talking about X-Men movies. We're talking about the MCU. Yeah. Uh, somebody in our Slack channel, I was talking about uh, Cyclops in the X-Men movies and how awful he was. Um, somebody called him the uh, the Foxman and they spelled it like F-O capital X dash men. Love that. <laughs> The Foxman movies. I love that. Um, Why have I never heard that before? That's I don't awesome. know. I, I, I want to credit it to the right person. Um, I think it was Tombstone. I want to say Tombstone. Um, Tommy this Drew. Is, this is incredible radio. But one division one. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. It was uh, Tom Drew himself, Tombstone, Foxman. Um, so as far as the Westview residents, I think that you're right. You know, they're becoming more human. And the interesting thing that um, – about was i think it is very obvious and clear through the scene we had with agnes and herb them whispering behind vision's back and when vision comes up and asks him how they're doing they turn it back on you know Catherine hahn gets her axe and chops back and she you know you know this uh but this macrame is not gonna hang itself ching ching you know like you know she really turned it back into that character when vision was present um but you can tell very clearly i feel like Herb and Agnes are very, very scared of something. And, you know, we've seen other characters be scared in this show. We saw Deborah Jo Rupp's character, Mrs. Hart, in episode one, get very scared of her husband choking. You saw Dottie um, in episode two, you know, when she starts questioning Wanda and that radio starts going off, Dottie got nervous. Like, Dottie was very worried at the moment. And in this episode, I think it's very clear what people are scared of is Wanda. You know, going into this show and even through episodes one and two, I always felt like these these people, I think they're obviously under some sort of trance at moments in this show. Like that doctor was going to go to Bermuda. You know what I mean? Like he was packed. He had sunscreen on. When you have sunscreen on your nose, that means you're going to the beach. That's a fact. You know, don't I don't care how long the play ride is between Westview and Bermuda. He's ready for the beach. Um <laughs> And so, you know, you had that scene. You had the scene where Dottie's husband, uh, Dottie walks in. Hey, did my earrings look make me look fat? The power cuts off. And that husband, in a very real way, thank God, which was a very funny beat. But, um, I, you know, like there are moments where these side characters, these NPCs are actually living their lives in Westview. But through that conversation with Herb and Agnes, they, they seem very worried about Wanda. And they seem even more worried that someone like vision or Wanda will hear them. You know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. they seem like they're, they're trying to, 
you know, sneak behind the curtain a little bit when they have those moments of clarity that they seem to be having, they want to keep it under wraps because what happens when somebody asks too many questions in this show? Wanda want to get rid of it. Like one way or another, Wanda's going to find a way to adapt to the situation. It seems to be Wanda. Obviously there could be, and that's kind of the biggest thing, right? Is there a big bad above Wanda creating this reality? That's something that we're not going to know, I think for a while, but Right now, at least from what we've seen, the residents of Westview aren't scared that they're trapped in this reality. They are scared that Wanda's going to keep them there, which makes me feel like to a degree, everyone's aware and everybody has moments of breaking from this trance that they're in and starting to piece it together. So maybe Herb and Agnes, it's not so much that they, you know, they know more than others, Maybe they've just been snapped out of it for long enough to kind of piece some things together. And they're worried if they start asking too many questions, they're going to get, you know, flashback to, you know, Agnes and Herb, you know, to giving out pieces of big red and gossiping about the neighborhood goings on. So um, it's just, it's just so intriguing. Like that's the number one word I have for this show. It's just intriguing as hell, but you know, there's another Westview resident. There's another Westview resident that seems to be playing a different role. You know, you have Wanda and Vision, the main characters, the stars of the show, and they seem to they seem to be hiding their big secret of superpowers, but also starting to realize that it's not just that. And you know, Vision makes that clear in this episode. Then you have the residents of Westview, and then there's Geraldine, Fiona Prince, pretty smile on TV today. Um, she obviously has a different thing going on because not only did we get that tease in episode two where you know she doesn't really know where she's going and you know we have the things that happened in this episode where you know she's alone with wanda and she talks about pietro well wanda brings up pietro she talks about ultron like mm. it's not a westview thing you know those oh. aren't those aren't westview words this is this is not new york this is not sokovia she brings up Ultron, and obviously that makes Wanda very, very angry. Um, but it's not just that she seems to be playing a different role because she knows a little bit. We've seen her know more about the actual MCU happenings. We just haven't seen anybody else do that yet. But also it's the fact that Herb and Agnes seem suspicious of her as well. We are all suspicious of everybody. They are suspicious of Geraldine. So the big line in this show, the big reveal about Geraldine this, in this episode is she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a family and that's fine. As Paul Bettany says, that's fine. She doesn't have a home. She doesn't have a home in Westview. What does that mean? We do not know, but all we know is, you know, we have the people who know the people who don't know. And then Geraldine seems to be a third party in all this. We assume an informant for sword, you know, somebody who's been sent into this reality and not manifested within it. But, you know, her role in this is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's only, yeah, as you said, it's only going to snowball as the weeks go on. And I feel like it's just transparent now that she obviously has a role and comes from the outside world because Wanda recognizes immediately. What, what are you wearing? What's that around your neck? The sword emblem. 
And, you know, for eagle-eyed viewers, you recognize that sword emblem from episode one uh, when the reality zooms out and someone's taking notes by the TV. They have a sword notebook. You recognize that sword emblem from the toy helicopter. You recognize that sword emblem from the beekeeper at the end of episode two. So this repeated uh, symbol, this was the first moment that, you know, for people who didn't catch it, because it is kind of, you know, not blinking, you'll miss it, but hidden within moments. And Nobody things. talks about it. Nobody talks about it. This, they made sure to focus on it. What is that? Audience looks at it, camera zooms in. This, this emblem is something that's integral to the story. While we don't know what role Sword will play just yet or how big they will play, obviously we assume because they're on the outside and they're either monitoring or controlling this or something's going on, mm-hmm. Sword is going to have a big role. So I think this episode really emphasized to maybe casual fans that don't break down each individual frame. Here's something you have to pay attention to. Here's why Geraldine is more than just, you know, an everyday neighbor. Here's why Geraldine is actually going to be a bigger player moving forward. And uh, I feel like we might just be calling her a different name come next week. Right. And, you know, for those who know, you know, you know, we're not trying to do like hyper speculative spoilers. Like I said, we're going to focus on episode three, but Geraldine obviously is going to play a big role. What what is that role? I think even going into the show, a lot of us assumed Tiana Prince's character is going to be a sword agent. But I just want to point out a couple of things. You know, this this might be better fit for lines that matter. But, you know, we'll get into it now. Um, you know, so the big reveal, she does not have a home. And I want I was looking the second time I watched this today, I was looking for moments that may have like hinted that she was somebody being sent in to spy on Wanda. And then I looked, I also was looking for moments where made her more realistic within the Westview world, made her more of that, you know, unknowing neighbor like she's trying to be. She comes in and what her excuse for coming over, all the pipes in her house burst. She doesn't have a house. You know, according to Agnes, there is no house. So that you know, at that time when I was watching it, I thought, oh, she made that up just so she can come over and get some dirt on Wanda, right? So that was a, oh, she's infiltrating moment. But then when she brings up Ultron and, you know, she she says that to Wanda, it seems like she didn't mean to do it. Like, like almost like she couldn't help but to do it. Like she was snapped out of something, didn't know where she was and responded to it organically. So that was me... So at that point, she went from someone infiltrating to she's just kind of lost in the illusion like everybody else. But one thing I want to point out about that sword necklace. If you're an informant for sword and you're going to come over and make up a lie about your pipes bursting just to get some one on one time with Wanda. Why would you wear that sword necklace? Like, why wouldn't you take that off? You know, that's a dead giveaway. You know, and, 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 you know, a lot of people can say, oh, well, you know, it's just, you know, there's a TV show. You're thinking into it too much. You don't, you can't think into it too much. It's the MCU. Everything matters. There's a reason she was wearing that necklace. There's a reason she didn't take it off. So that, you know, I went from, oh, she's for sure just coming into Spy on Wanda to why would she be wearing that necklace? She can't just be, she can't be meticulously infiltrating this world there has to be some sort of confusion within her own character that we just don't know about yet and it's a point you bring up too that i kind of want to expand upon she feels very much like an interrogator um 
because if, if you'll see other movies and everything and just knowing how inter- interrogators operate, they want to make you, you know, feel comfortable, make you feel safe, make you feel like you're friends with them. And then once, you know, you start revealing information, that's when they're going to start pulling a little bit. Mm-hmm. So at the very beginning, you know, for the two episodes we have, Geraldine, she's a friend to Wanda and, and she's being nice and she's being cordial and she helps her deliver her two babies. Oh, it's her best friend in the world. And no one else was here to help. Not even Agnes was here to help her. Even Vision had to run away. Geraldine was there for me when I needed someone the most. And when she puts the babies in the crib, Geraldine sitting, sitting with her or standing with her, consulting her and all that. I was a twin. That's when she starts to pull a little bit more. It's only in that moment that she starts to go, Pietro, huh? He was killed by Ultron. Hoping, you know, now since she gave me a little something, I'm going to give her a line back and hopefully get some more. And then once Wanda, you know, why'd you say that? She, she goes back to being normal a little bit. But then when she snaps back at her, she's like, Wanda, really? Are we really going to do this? And the, the it's not as obvious as a Sokovian to American accent change, but her voice has a very specifically different tone. She's going from being supporting character in WandaVision, this warped reality, to what we assume is a sword agent. And that to me is just, ah, oh, it's ultra intriguing. So good. And, and, and even within that, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not, that, that's a great point I never thought of. You're right. Like she, she brought up the word twin. And obviously, you know, she had twins. That's you know, hell of a coincidence. But like, sure, it was at that point where Wanda started getting out of it herself, which is something we hadn't seen done yet. Um, but even when, you know, she says, Wanda, we're seriously going to do this as if like, you know, she was kind of like chest up to her a little bit. Wanda asked like, who are you? And she on Prince said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's the, it's the famous clip from the trailer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So even within her trying to backpedal, even within her trying to get back to the Geraldine character and get Wanda settled down and, you know, try not to escalate the situation too much. She still doesn't quite know exactly what's going on. And it's just so interesting. Like that's the mystery. That's the mystery. Who knows what and how much do they know? And you know, G- Geraldine really has become the front and stage center of that. And now she's outside. We're going to find out what that goes on before we go into Wanda. Before we go into Wanda, I want to talk about vision because he had a couple moments in this show where he's starting to become a, an even a fourth brand of character. You know what I mean? There's, there's always been the main characters, the side characters, and the outside force. Vision is starting to branch away from that main character category with a couple instances of he's starting to question things. You know, I brought up that scene from episode one last week where, you know, we talked about how while that guy was choking and Mrs. Hart was essentially pleading Wanda to stop whatever happening was happening, Vision very much felt like he was waiting for Wanda's permission to intervene. So that gave us a sense of vision, not only knowing what the illusion is, but also knowing that Wanda's in charge of it. Another situation of somebody being scared of Wanda. He needed her permission first. In this episode, when Wanda brings up, you know, with all of our close calls lately, you know, we got to be a little more careful. And vision starts thinking, you're right. We do got to be a little more careful. I mean, this happened and this happened and, and, and then this happened too. You know, with with the hearts at dinner, that was weird. That that was weird how that happened. And you know, earlier with Herb, he was cutting through a brick wall and just smiling at me, like you know, like a zombie land character. And so you know, that was weird. And you know, he just says very simply, Wanda, I think, I think something else is going on here. And Wanda just immediately, 
Did you think that Disney Plus uh, like glitched on you? I thought my Wi-Fi was my Syracuse Wi-Fi for a second. It felt like a Wi-Fi glitch. I know that was intentional by them, and bravo, because I had that moment too. I was like, wait, what? Wanda undid Vision questioning the reality. But then later on, after Agnes and Herb kind of tell Vision that Geraldine's something's up with her. She's not like us. You know what I mean? Like people have been skeptical of Wanda and Vision this whole time. Now they're skeptical of Geraldine and that makes Vision kind of like something crazy's going on here. Something crazy. And then when he goes back into the house and he asks Wanda, Wanda, where'd Geraldine go? Oh, honey, she went home. She had to run home. Vision doesn't question it. Vision's going along. So I think personally, you know, not to kind of cut you off when I was setting up a question for you, I think personally, Vision, Vision's role in this is going to be he's going to start hiding behind the curtain. He's going to start tiptoeing around Wanda and try to figure things out almost from the inside. Uh, yeah, for, for the audio listeners, because obviously this is an audio podcast, Matt kind of just blew my mind because I didn't even piece those those two together because he doesn't really question or they don't the camera doesn't really allow you to see his immediate reaction because you know it's it's her face then we cut to Geraldine crashing through but yeah if if she had to rush home but at that point vision knows she doesn't have a home he's gonna start you know playing along here and maybe not questioning as much because notice how when he was talking about all the things that feel wrong the hearts at dinner and then earlier today uh what was going on he did not mention the beekeeper because the beekeeper was reversed so that just kind of goes to show what happens. That, yeah. So the only person that remembers those events are essentially Wanda, or if this is playing out like a TV show and sort is watching, they see the rewinds in real time, but we can't even confirm that. So the only person that knows about certain, the only person that knows about everything that goes on in this weird reality, no matter whether it's reversed or happens in real time and continues is Wanda. There's literally only one reliable narrator and when that reliable narrator starts playing around with the narrative, that's when it starts to get really messy. Yeah, and I think that's a great, excellent transition into let's talk about Wanda in that last 10 minutes. A lot to unpack here because for the longest time, the question has been, we all know Wanda is doing this to some degree. We know that from the reverses. We've all wondered how much is she doing? How much is she aware she's doing? And is someone doing this to her? This episode very creepily transitioned into Wanda pulling every single string. Like you said, the only reliable narrator. So I want to, like I said, a lot of time pack here. So I think we take our time doing it because it's just so interesting how they spent just the last 10 minutes of this episode setting up such a good cliffhanger for episode four. Um, I've talked all throughout this review about the B plot, the MCU plot infiltrating the uh, sitcom plot. And I've looked at every instance that that's happened. I listed them earlier when I was talking about uh, the balance between sitcom and MCU. When Mr. Hart started questioning the backstory of Wanda and Vision, he accidentally started choking. You know, that is a thing that happened to him because I feel he was questioning too much and something bad happened to him. Maybe it could have, and, and Wanda looked shocked. Wanda looked shocked that it was happening. So maybe instinctively Wanda made that happen and didn't know about it. Right. So 
um, an accidental action was taken in order to subvert from somebody asking too many questions. And then the next instance, we get to Dottie, where Dottie, you know, she seems to get a little paranoid, a little suspicious. You know, I know about you and your husband and uh, Wanda ensures her she does not mean to harm anybody. And Wanda says, I do not. Uh, Dottie says, I don't believe you. Dottie starts questioning this reality. Dottie starts questioning Wanda's integrity within Westview. And what happens? A glass breaks because the radio thing. And, you know, we think the radio was like a a sword outside source. The glass breaking, though, could have been Wanda, again, accidentally, instinctively stopping Dottie from questioning her too much. You know, you ask too many questions, something bad happens to you. So that's two instances of accidental action. And then you have the moments that you talked about, the beekeeper. Somebody blatantly wasn't even asking too many questions somebody is infiltrating this world somebody is trying to break in and wanda decides okay we're gonna undo this part you know what i mean we're gonna try this again but the beekeeper is not gonna come this time so that was an instance of wanda taking control and and deciding rather than deal with whatever is happening in front of her let's undo it and try it again but that's not gonna happen let's 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 run it back the same thing happens when Vision starts questioning, you know, Wanda, do you think something big's going on here? She just shakes her head no and decides, okay, we're going to try this again, but Vision's not going to question me this time. So those, the, those are two instances of Wanda taking control and undoing parts she doesn't like and replacing them with parts that she does like. But when Geraldine, when, when Wanda brings up Pietro and says that she's a twin and starts singing in Sokovian, and Geraldine brings up that Pietro was killed by Ultron, seemingly in an accidental state of mind. Geraldine brought that up. Wanda gets a little upset. You know, why'd you say that? You know, why would you say that about Pietro? Where, who are you? Where are you from? What is that on your necklace? Right in front of her is a person she thought was a friend, like you mentioned. Somebody she thought was a friend is actually trying to ask questions and infiltrate and, and, and do things. But Geraldine did something that the beekeeper vision, Mr. Hart and Dottie did not do. She pissed her off. Mm. And it, it's becoming quite clear when you piss Wanda off, something bad happens. And Wanda didn't instinctively, you know, have a piano fall on Geraldine or, you know, she didn't like trip and fall just to distract from the questioning. She didn't undo it, so we're going to do this moment again, but this time Geraldine's not going to bring up Ultron. That didn't happen. Wanda took it, took matters upon herself. She's going to yeet you out of this freaking universe and, and got right back at it. But when we cut back to Wanda, obviously we know Geraldine did not die from that impactful launching out of Westview. When we cut back to Wanda and she has that sinister look on her face, like, oh, she had to run home. Like, like that's an evil menacing look like like not only did she mean to throw geraldine as far as she threw her and get her out of this reality she's trying to build she's like excited that she's gone and she's trying to get back to building whatever she's building it's just such an interesting there's wanda in the sitcom world and then i feel like there's the scarlet witch who's pulling the screen strings scarlet witch is pulling the strings undoing things causing harm to people and yeeting people out of Westview. Cause there's, there's ways that she can course correct when stuff goes awry. You know, someone asks a question she doesn't like someone shows up that she doesn't want there. 
But when she senses a, a threat to her perfect world, her perfect reality, they're eliminated kind of. And so we don't see her throw her out of the reality, but it, it's deleted footage, I guess, from the trailer or footage meant for the trailer because we see in one of the early trailers for WandaVision, um, Geraldine flying through Westview, the warped reality, crashing through whatever the, the wall of just like electricity or- We should name it. We should name it right now. Uh, the- Westview force field. The Westview Force. Westview the Westview Force. Wall. Yeah. The Westview Wall. The Westview Wall. The Westview Wall. The wall crashes. between the sitcom reality and the MCU reality. The Westview Wall. Hashtag the Westview Wall. When she Hashtag. crashes through the Westview Wall um, in the trailer, you see her with red energy around her. And it's hard to see at night. And I'm sure if you up the brightness and slow down the frame rate, you'll be able to see that she has some sort of red energy when she's flying through the normal world. But we can piece together that she's thrown out because WandaVision wanted her thrown out. And where we go forward now is really intriguing because now Geraldine has some intel on Wanda. And if Geraldine ends up being, you know, a sword agent, as we suspect, considering the, the emblem she has on her necklace, she is going to report to some supervisors and update them on Wanda. And I'm starting to believe she's going to start thinking or start saying to whatever, whoever is her supervisor, we assume it would be a Jimmy Woo type character. She might start saying, you know, rather than this is something that we can easily fix. She might start saying, we need to send in more reinforcements. We need to start getting physical to disrupt whatever's going on here. Yeah, man. It's so interesting. And, you know, just Bravo to this episode for, Still keeping the whole sitcom vibe very present, very awesome. And we're going to, guys, we're getting three more of these at least. You know, we have three decades we haven't touched yet. The 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. We know we are getting at least three more sitcom-based beginnings. But like I said earlier, 5%, 10%, 30%. They are incrementally adding more outside forces. There's a lot of uh, suspicion that the next episode is going to be completely outside and we get our first look of outside Westview looking in through the perspective of Geraldine. So, um, you know, it's not even for sure that next week is the 90, uh, the eighties episode. You know, we knew this was going to be the seventies episode. We are, aren't a hundred percent sure next week will be the eighties soon to find out. But, um, you know, let's, let's start diving into things that we need to keep track of things that we need to pay attention to that might play out later. It is time. Four lines that matter. Lines that matter. Lines that matter. Welcome back to Lines That Matter, the installment of our WandaVision review, where we will break down parts of dialogue from each episode of WandaVision, keep track of them, and pay attention to what they could mean moving forward. Last week, we highlighted popular hits, such as For the Children and things... um, I didn't write these down. This is only our second installment of Lines That Matter. Liam, give me some of last week's lines that matter. I had a look. It's the star of the show. Uh, Agnes saying it's a Wanda very cordially. We suspect that might get a little more sinister as the weeks go on. Uh, The devil's in the details. uh, One that's been broken down for the entire past week. And then the simple, uh, who's doing this to you, Wanda? We know that we know that matters for sure, but we kind of broke it down and thought about where that could lead 
So those lines, along with For the Children and also Geraldine saying to Wanda, I kind of knew you'd say that when Wanda said she was keeping mm. her mouth shut. She's not talking, and Geraldine knows it. So, Liam, uh, give me one of this week's uh, WandaVision Episode 3 lines that matter. Well, I'm, I'm, I've got a bunch here, and I feel like we've kind of touched on a lot of them just in terms of plot-wise. But there is, one, on. yeah. there is one we haven't touched on, and it does come in that conversation between Agnes, Herb, and uh, Vision. And Agnes says she drops another line about her mysterious husband, and she says, Ralph looks better in the dark, so I'm not complaining when referencing the power outages. Ralph is <laughs> Ralph is not a throwaway character. Ralph is someone important. And Ralph looks better in the dark. I mean, I feel like it's just naturally associated that dark is associated with villainy. And I think that Ralph is going to end up being Mephisto. I, I feel like the more and more we discuss Ralph um, and the more Agnes jokes about him and how he's not around, not that he's not around, but more so that she's the one that's present in the neighborhood while he's at home or he's away or he's you know doing something else i think ralph is a very sinister force it sounds funny to say like oh the big bad ralph but i feel like uh have... face. yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we actually might have our a couple name drops so far of someone who will end up being mephisto or even the grim reaper um some someone important will end up being ralph and i think this line is another indication uh that he is going to play a role when he eventually makes his on-screen debut i'm up on ralph all right i get behind yeah. it i get behind stalking ralph yeah i'm too i'm i'm too hooked on her herb man you know i'm a big herb guy myself um so my first lines that matter um, this is a kind of a throwaway one. It's within the sitcom part of it. Um, you know, Wanda, she um, has those butterfly, that butter, uh, butterfly, uh, what's it called? The thing that hangs above a baby's crib. It's not a, not a cradle, but like, it uh, hangs above the cradle. Mono, it's, mon- it's a, uh, we we'll get, we'll get guys, the research our research department is going to understand, uh, going to figure it out. But um, she has that thing hanging above the cradle with all the butterflies on it. And then the baby starts kicking and Wanda says it feels fluttery. Uh, the mobile, the mobile, mobile. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Before the research got team. I got it before the research team. So the <laughs> great radio. Um, so the butterfly mo- mo- mobile above the uh, crib. Once Wanda says, oh, it feels fluttery. The butterflies start fluttering. And obviously mm. later when she's, you know, giving birth, um, you know, things in the apartment start going awry. Her water starts leaking. It starts raining in the living room. Hilarious. Um, and things like that. But, you know, when the butterflies start going, she goes, oh, did I do that? I didn't mean to. So obviously in moments of high stress, high excitement, high emotion, um, Wanda's powers tend to leak out of her control. You know, we don't know how much she is in control of this, but we do know now because of that line and because of those butterflies, um, she can lose control in moments of high emotion, positively or negatively. Absolutely. That it's, it's really intriguing because I feel like that's something that we're going to see play out in future episodes. I feel like, you know, it's not just a coincidence that two emotions then result in something physical um, with, you know, props or objects around the house, you know, lighting up, raining down from the ceiling, butterflies, you know, turning into real butterflies and flying away. That I feel like stork. those are going <laughs> to, 
Yeah, the the stork. Stork was on screen way too long, man. Way way too much. Bring back the butterflies. I actually have another (laughs) line that matters. Line Um, that that matters. Uh, I got I got two more. I'll go with my uh, my bigger plot one first. Um, and we did kind of touch on it. Um, it's again the conversation between Agnes Herb and Vision, and it's the line uh, Herb delivers. And I feel like we should really pick apart this line because the the nature of how it's delivered leads me to believe that it's going to be ultra important moving forward. Um, and it's when Herb says, you know, Geraldine, well, she came here because we're all we're all, we're all. And then Agnes interrupts him and no, don't, don't. Why wouldn't Agnes interrupt him on the first we're all? It's because she is also, you know, trying to figure out whether or not they can trust Vision. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, this whole neighborhood looks at Vision and Wanda as something's going on between those two. When Vision comes out and questions and starts questioning information that they would assume he already knows if he's the all-knowing central figure of this plot with Wanda, when he starts questioning, they start, you know, mentally kind of communicating with each other like, can we trust this guy? Can we let him in on what we know that maybe Wanda doesn't? And the fact that Herb himself struggles to say we're all, it's almost that he's internally you know, questioning, I don't know if I can let this guy in yet, but I kind of trust him and I'm going to half deliver the line. And Agnes is also in that mental state of, I feel like we can maybe trust this guy. No. And then at the last no. second, they, they panic. No, not yet. They, yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not wow. that close. We're not, we're not there yet. We're, we, we haven't even got to first base yet. We're just neighbors. So I feel yeah. like that's, that's something as the weeks go on, Herb and Agnes, whatever they're discussing, Eventually, Vision's going to get brought into the fold. Something's going to happen between Vision and Wanda that the neighbors notice that indicates to them that, no, he is on our side, quotes Mm -hmm. on that. And we see from the trailer, you know, Agnes isn't uh, afraid to give information to Vision in later episodes. Uh, Oh, am I dead? Why would you think that? Because you are. She's very comfortable giving information there. So it leads me to believe in future weeks. Um, the 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 sharing of secrets is going to become more apparent between the neighbors and vision specifically right i mean i got hung up on uh herb's line you know we can't because we're all and i got hung up on the fact that vision seems to be questioning things himself but not wanting to let wanda know too much about how much he's questioning it i never thought of you know the fact that you know maybe that was them trying to invite them in invite vision in to the people who kind of know what's going on. And then, you know, you also got to realize like, that's lost my train of thought a little bit. You know, they were telling vision like, Hey, Geraldine, you know, she doesn't have a family, doesn't have a husband, doesn't have a home. They seem to know that Geraldine is an outsider, even in this Mm. illusionist world, but they didn't want to come out and say it. Hey, she's not from here. She's not like us. Something's up with her. They wanted to kind of let vision get there himself. So they kept dropping hints, you know, like she doesn't have a home. That's suspicious. That's weird. You know what I mean? And um, another thing, just from that scene, another quick little mini line that matters. Um, you know, if you watch this with subtitles and I and I noticed this after watching a uh, kind of funny review on this. Um, if you watch it with subtitles, what they're whispering to each other, what they're discussing that piques Vision's interest and questions, you know, what are you guys talking about? You know, she, they're saying, did she go in there? Did Geraldine go in there? Like she went in there with Wanda? Like, you know, they're worried 
they're either worried that Geraldine's in there with Wanda because Geraldine's going to piss Wanda off, or they're worried that Geraldine's in there with Wanda because they know Wanda's going to do something to her if Geraldine starts asking too many questions. Again, I go back to the point where it really seems like Ger- uh, Herb and Agnes are trying to just play it cool, you know, do the Truman Show thing, you know, trying to keep everything, you know, keep everything just totally calm, you know, keep everything copacetic. And, you know, they're afraid Geraldine's going to mess it up or they're afraid if they tell Vision too much, Wanda's going to get angry and change everything back again, you know, do another big undo moment. So that's a very big line that matters that I did not realize. And then obviously another one you touched on earlier, I just wanted to highlight it again real quick. The doctor who was going to Bermuda, again, sunscreen on the nose, you're going to fucking Bermuda. That's a fact. Um, You know, look it up, Google it. I dare you. Um, but no, he says, you know, yeah, we might just hang around, you know, small towns tough to escape. And he had that worried voice. Like everybody else in the show who is broken at points, you know, he had a very worried, scared, anxious voice. So guys, there's a lot going on. We're going to keep track of all these lines that matter moving forward. Please tweet us at the direct podcast. Let us know some other lines that matter. matter that maybe we missed. Thank you for another installment of lines that matter. And welcome back. That was lines that matter. And uh, I think it's time to go into our final thoughts on the WandaVision review. And that is when we look forward episode four, I I'll kind of take the seat on this one. Cause I already said, I think there's a very high possibility that episode four is an outside looking in episode, as opposed to us being inside the snow globe for the past three, Liam, what are your thoughts moving into episode four after knowing what we know? I would be very, very surprised if we didn't get an outside heavy episode or even just outside elements at all, because it was so, this episode was so reliant on that big cliffhanger of something is going on outside. And I feel like with, with Marvel cliffhangers, you want to pay them off on the next movie, next episode, next installment, whatever you want to call it. And because we see with the post credit scene specifically, they're usually a post credit scene for the next movie. Um, Captain America, the Winter Soldier ends with the twins. And while you do have Guardians in between, the next movie after that ends up being Age of Ultron. So same thing with uh, Thor the Dark World. The end credit scene shows the collector. Obviously, you have Captain America in between that, but the very next space story, Guardians of the Galaxy. So I feel like when you end an episode on the outside forces, you do have to focus on the outside forces going forward. The next, step, I yeah. would love, I would love to see Jimmy Woo and uh, Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis in Mew, next Mew. week's episode. But I, I kind of have my doubts still. I feel like we're still gonna stick in Westview. From what we know from the trailers, there was a lot of footage of Wanda in her garb that she wore in this episode that was not shown in this episode, which is very confusing to me because. Each episode seems to play with a decade and we didn't get, you know, a transition shift like we got last week with uh, the black and white shifting to color. So maybe there's a chance we stay in the 70s for a little bit next week and then mid episode change into the 80s. Maybe we just don't even see the transition happen because it happens uh, congruently while we're focused on the outside world. I guess my my prediction for what we get next week um, is that we get a little more insight into what sword is doing there but we still have the mystery of what is actually going on. And then one more thing I did want to bring up before uh, we wrap up this review. 
I feel like I'm getting a pattern with these episodes. So I want to keep shouting it out. Vision is such a great husband, Matt. He is such okay. a great husband. Good Last guy. week, I pointed out the fact that he was saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm very appreciative. I don't want to come off as underappreciative, but my boss is here and uh, he's expecting a home cooked meal. And she completely understands this week. He says, oh, geez, you're, you're growing so fast. The baby's coming so fast. I can hardly keep up. But no, no, no. Please don't misinterpret. I'm so excited to meet you. What a great guy. What Thanks a great communicator. Balance between, you know, I'm kind of freaking out. There's a lot of responsibility, but no, I still love you. What a great guy. Shout out Vision. Sam Wilson be damned. Vision's really good at communicating. Oh, this will be good. <laughs> That's a deep civil war cut. Um, that is very, <laughs> very deep. But I, I, I want to touch on your point right now about the whole uh, decade transition really quick. I know this is a long one. I don't care. I love this episode. Um, I do think we're going to get some 70s in the next episode because you're right. There is some big moments like, you know, um, I almost called her Monica. Uh, Geraldine getting shot out of Westview and also that uh, that footage from the trailer of Wanda fixing her house. You know, it's been mm-hmm. a very big trailer in this. Uh, it's been a very big moment in the trailers for this series. And so who who could make a hole like that in the wall? Anybody. What, I don't know. That, what, that, what could hey, make a- that damn stork? Maybe she yeeted that thing out of there, too. I, was, I hope I was so. Trying to, I was trying to set you up that she threw Geraldine literally through the wall. Yeah, no, 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 she definitely yeah. did. I definitely yeah. think that happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, but uh, maybe, maybe this is Geraldine getting approached by Sword. Hey, you've been in there a long time. You obviously don't know exactly what's going on. How about you take a look? And they show Geraldine Westview and WandaVision, the sitcom show, and they show Wanda fixing the hole and covering it all up. And they, they, you know, they're having this conversation. So yeah, this is what's happening. And then they, oh, look, look. They're switching decades again. Maybe we get a look at the next decade shift from the outside. We see what Sword has been seeing every time one of these episodes passes. It's very, very intriguing possibility. And, and you know, I, I, I think you're right. We're not going to get a hundred percent outside episode. You know, I think there's possibility. But if the math holds up, if the math stays where it's supposed to stay, we went from five to ten. 10 to 30 if we double 30 again you know if we double it up that is a 60 percent mcu episode 40 percent sitcom which would make sense if we're starting on the outside that more would take place on the outside everything matters the numbers included ladies and gentlemen that was our wandavision episode three review please send us any questions you have send us your lines that matter we would love to see them thank you for joining us and we will see you next week wandavision episode but now stick around join us for our interview with the director of comicbook.com the jim the starting ladies and gentlemen joining us now hailing from nashville tennessee a man with a deep history in the world of comic books one of the founding fathers of comic book news online and a fan of all things fantastic the host of a wild podcast has appeared and director slash editor for comicbook.com the man jimmy vicardi jim how we doing man what an intro i love it we, 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 we want to do you justice, man. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. We thought we'd give you, you know, a proper introduction. Oh, awesome, man. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. Fantastic. I'm, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a, a fun chat and uh, a fun little segment down the line. 
Yeah, dude, yeah. I love it, man. It's uh, look, anytime I have the opportunity to just uh, profess my love for for comics and stuff, uh, dude, I'm I'm down every time. So let's do it. You're in the right place, damn it. You are <laughs> in the right spot because that's exactly what we love doing too. Um, you know, first off, I just want to start with comicbook.com. Congrats on an incredible 2020 for you guys. Obviously, movie and pop culture news during the pandemic has evolved into a new level of importance, I would say, because throughout pretty much the entire year, this was our content. You know, us people like you, people like us getting on airwaves, getting online, talking about this shit. And, um, you know, you've obviously been at comicbook.com pretty much since the ground floor, right? Yep. Yeah, basically. I mean, it was comic book was, uh, you know, I I can't take all all the credit, uh, obviously, but it's um, it started basically, uh, you know, the founder was a guy by the name of, of Joe Blackman, who um, uh, had, you know, just kind of like he was actually a big reality television uh, junkie mm-hmm. and happened to in like the dot com URL arms race, basically happened to get comic book and dude's a diehard comic book fan has every single issue of spawn, every single uh, <laughs> McFarland figure that has ever been put out. Like the dude is awesome. as legit as, uh, as it comes um, had comic book going in, like, I would say like a, a proto state basically for, for a couple of years. Um, and like one of, you know, one of the longest tenured writers at the site, Russ Burlingame has been at the site longer than, than anyone. Uh, and then, um, and then basically what happened, you know, he, he, he came across someone who shared a lot of those uh, same interests that he had as far as, uh, you know, comic books and, and just kind of geek stuff goes and had already kind of, uh, you know, made a name for himself building a bunch of uh, college sports websites. So a guy by the name of Shannon Terry uh, started and sold, uh, was one of the founders of Rivals and sold that to Yahoo and then started 24-7 Sports, sold that to CBS. Um, and, you know, like it was, it's crazy because I remember the very early days of comic book started out of the 24-7 sports office. Like it was a literally uh, a four-seat cubicle mm-hmm. that was uh myself uh jamie lovett uh brandon davis uh and uh and uh matt matt mueller and then joe sat sat in an office behind him and basically what happened was i was working at marvel for a for a while i was i was there for almost seven years wow. and uh i decided you know li- i was living in new york and it was crazy expensive and i was you know fresh ish out of college and you know, newly married. And my wife and I were like, well, let's, we're not, you know, let's go somewhere else. Like it was crazy. Like I was working at Marvel. She was working uh, at food network. We both basically had like dream jobs basically, but we're getting paid almost nothing. So (laughs) that wasn't going to work. And uh, so when, when, when I left, Joe happened to be on my press list and it was maybe about a week after I arrived in Nashville, he hit me up and said, Hey, we're looking at totally revamping a comic book. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, I mean, it's a comic book website. So there's a zero way I was going to make, like there was a chance for me to make any money, right? Like, right. It's, like there was no way. Um, so, you know, then I spoke to, you know, I spoke to Shannon, spoke to Joe and, and inevitably decided to, to just make the jump. And I, you know, I'd seen what um, you know, Shannon was able to do with, uh, you know, with Rivals and 24-7. And I was like, there's, yeah, I'm, I'm in. And look, my goal when starting comic book in its kind of current form was I wanted to be a site that was bigger than, or in league with the trades, right? So your Hollywood Reporter, Variety, 
sorry, excuse me, uh, you know, EW, Deadline, etc. And um, the first time we hit that goal was about two, two years ago. We did it once. And I, I forget what, it just happened to be a very good month, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, we did it once, but like now we need to, to do it again. And now basically like month in and month out, for the last six months have basically, you know, variety has inched over us every once in a while, but like we've basically been in that conversation, right? So we just got, you know, it's, this is going to sound super braggy for me, but I'm proud of our team where we did, we put up a 29, 29 million spot for December, which is a high watermark for us. Um, And uh, you know, and and so like, that's the thing, right? So like, now I can, I can say like we comic book is bigger than IGN it's bigger than the trades. And, and it's a thing that I, I wanted, I hoped for, I never in my wildest dreams thought it would, we would get there at this point and, uh, and, and be doing, be doing what we're doing. And so, you know, we're still a relatively young site and we still have so much that, that we can do and so much that we want to do, uh, that like we've got one of the, the best teams to, to do it with. And so I'm excited for it. That's so great. And, you know, obviously, you know, me and Liam, we work for the direct.com and, yep. you know, we're in a similar space and, you know, we are an incredibly young side ourselves. So looking at a story like, you know, BD told us last week, or you're, you just told us right now, it's just so cool to see nerd culture manifest itself this way. And comicbook.com, comicbook.com kind of grew with nerd culture a little bit, you know, the big yeah. boom of Avengers 2012, you know, really, you know, hook it to the next level and you guys, you know, not to, you know, take apart any work, but that's a big right place, right time kind of thing. Well, and that's exactly it. Right. And so, so when we, when we started, uh, obviously the, the landscape was, was totally, was totally different. This was, this was a landscape that was dominated by, you know, I mean, IGN was still very much, you know, is, is, is still in the conversation. Right. But like, ain't it cool news, um, superhero hype, comicbookmovie.com um uh you know uh, and, and and like another kind of another a number of other sites like that nerdist uh was right. um was still you know coming in coming in hot comic book resources uh, screen rant obviously and so uh so when we came came onto the scene you know our coming from the world of comics when i worked at at marvel um, i i grew up always being a big superhero fan through animation. I didn't start reading comics until they killed Captain America. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I I remember where I remember where I was. I remember what happened. It was headline news everywhere. CNN was running, you know, like spent 40 minutes on it. And, And I was like, and I was still in school and I was like, I, I want to do that. I want to be someone who can help get, comics to the mainstream audience and so and so like my tenure at marvel and i'm going on a bit on a a tangent uh i swear i'll circle back to comic book in a second was filled with with a ton of really cool moments i mean we saw i saw the launch of you know just from a pure comic standpoint um you know we launched miles morales we we launched captain marvel we launched uh avengers versus x-men and um you know where i was around you know infinity was uh, my, the you know the last big comic event that that I worked on, um, and, and like and like you know, like the Barack the because it's inauguration day like the Barack Obama Spider Man issue cover thing that was super hot. We you know I was there for uh, to help promote um, 
the wedding, uh, North North Star's wedding in Astonishing X-Men. Uh, like just a ton of really cool moments that yeah. inevitably blew up bigger before, you know, after, you know, after I had, I had been there. And so, so, so when I had left Marvel, I, I left with this instance of like, I want to uh, be someone who, who can reach out to people like me, right? Like who, who have appreciation for this nerd stuff, but may not know anything about it right and so avengers kind of happened at the right time where like our so the mantra even to this day is to be uh, as new geek friendly as we can mm-hmm. while and so what that means is like someone who watched avengers and saw the post credit scene and saw thanos right there's going to be someone who's like who the hell is that guy and there's going to be and there's going to be a bunch of people who are, who are like oh that's awesome and so so we catered our content to to both to both of both audiences mm-hmm. um and so we said here you just came out of avengers you have no idea who this purple guy is here's here's what you need to know and then for the diehard fans we said you're all losing your shit because thanos showed up here's here's what that here's what that could mean here's where we could see it elsewhere here are the comics that if you haven't read them yet go you know go read them kind of thing mm-hmm. and so and that's always been what we've done we've tried to to make our story like make our content as accessible as possible um because there are going to be there's a a, an enormous new audience coming to the table that wants to be smarter wants to be the smartest one in their group of friends that when they start talking about these movies like oh well now i know you know thanos obviously is going to show up in guardians of the galaxy and blah 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 and uh and so and and then like that was the audience we wanted to go after because, because you got to remember at that time there was either movie sites or comic book sites and there weren't really, there wasn't really anyone doing both and, and doing, uh, and doing it with a level of authority. And, um, and so that's where we came in and, and that's, you know, it was a great place, great time. I don't necessarily like to use right place, right time. I think it was a great place at a great time right. um, that really just helped propel, propel us to the, you know, the next level, which was, which was great. The challenge then is to call death. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really cool to hear you say that because I remember where I was um, in 2012 and some people in my theater were saying like, oh my God, it's Hellboy. It's like, no, no, see, it's, it's Thanos. And <laughs> he does look big, like Hellboy uh, though. Right? In that, in that particular <laughs> moment, he's got a bit of a red, red tint to him. Um, you mentioned very briefly uh, your time with Marvel and I know you touched on some stuff, but I was hoping yeah. you could talk to us a little bit more about uh, the vibe of what it was like back then, because as you mentioned, you know, comicbook.com really boomed when Avengers hit, but 08 um, leading up to it, you know, Marvel was kind of like leasing out their movies to Paramount Universal, all these different studios can only imagine it was a bit chaotic in, in the, in the offices. So could you talk to us about that kind of experience? Yeah, it's, it's crazy because so I started at Marvel as an intern pre Disney and the company had just really started to get its mojo back a little bit um, as far as publishing was concerned and um, as far as some of like the some of its digital products and projects and stuff were, were concerned and you know for for the most part marvel the the thing that marvel did really really well was leverage its ip where wherever wherever it could and so um, so, so yeah, so I mean, so like, you know, the, the, the deals are infamous, the X-Men to Fox, Spider-Man to Sony, um, you know, it didn't really leave much for Marvel to do, to do much of anything. 
And so I remember, I remember it super distinctly because it felt, and, it, and it's crazy to think think of it like this, but anyone who has worked at Marvel at that time, and he probably even today will tell you, uh, Marvel operated very much like a startup company. Um, it was, uh, it just, the, the idea of um, that hustle and, you know, and it, it notoriously, um, notoriously cheap, uh, basically, like it was, uh, um, you know, just like basically you had to buy your own, like all the rumors about like buying your own office supplies and things like that, like all true. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so I was there, so I was there as an intern and I had graduated basically the year Disney bought the company. And, um, I was like, well, and at the time, like I was also working retail kind of, you know, in, uh, at the same time. And I was like, am I going to have a job or, or what? And so inevitably hiring freeze, uh, ended the, the company, you know, the purchase, whatever, all went, all went through and it was fine. Um, but like leading up to that point, leading up to that Disney purchase is, is crazy because I remember seeing like the, like, Marvel Studios was just a like uh, a cardboard box of an office on the West Coast, really just starting to 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 put his stuff together. Not to short any of the the folks who were there, but it was um, like it was it was just a very small operation, and so there was a lot riding on the success of Iron Man. And you know, mm-hmm. this was a character that no one that no one really cared about. Like his comic was not selling uh, very well. Um, he wasn't really leveraged in, you know, other, other media. Like there was one terrible Sega Genesis game that was a, uh, crossover with Valiant with Iron Man and Exo Manowar. Um, and, uh, and then, but then the movie came out and it was. What it was. <laughs> it was what it was. Yeah. And, and the mood and the excitement at Marvel just got, it was it, so it was like fever pitch. Um, and, and it was, and it was a lot of fun, but like the, the crazy thing is, is that like, like people don't necessarily realize that like, okay, like Iron Man happened, but it wasn't a holy Marvel movie, right? Like Paramount dis- was the distributor right. uh, for that. And there were still other movies that were being distributed by, by other people. And, uh, and not all of them were hits. Incredible Hulk was was not you know not great. Iron Man two. I mean these movies made money, but like you know from critical reception, like it's like it's getting starting to get a little dicey. And so it was like oh okay, what you know what's gonna happen? But then you know I mean Feige and and the creatives at the time obviously knew that they were all leading to to Avengers. The Avengers happened, and then the rest is history. Like it just it became the monolith uh, that it is, and it was a ton of fun to be there at that time. Just like, you know, cause it was the one thing that, that anyone will tell you about working at Marvel is you, you absolutely adore the people that you work with. And it was just a very, super fun atmosphere um, to be doing what we're doing in all aspects. Even if you weren't doing movie stuff or um, whatever, if you were just doing, you know, working, like I spent a lot of time working in publishing um, and, and it would, you could just feel, you could just feel it. And it was electric. Yeah. That's so cool to hear. I mean, yeah. as fans, like, you know, I remember walking out of the theater in Iron Man, you know, I was in like eighth grade or some shit. And I remember walking out being like, that was like a different kind of superhero movie. And it's so cool to know that 
you know, the, the nerds behind the scene really embrace that energy along with the audience. Like looking yep. back, obviously it's easy to say how monumental that movie was, but in the Absolutely. moment, few people realize how big that was for the yeah. company. But it's um, just so crazy because I remember Robert Downey Jr. was at the Marvel booth that year for San Diego Comic-Con mm-hmm. and like he could just walk to the booth. Yeah. Like he didn't need security guards or like he could just show up. Yeah, and that and was like, the that was the first thing. Sorry to interrupt, but that was the no, first was thing I said to my mom when I walked because I I couldn't drive at the time. So my mom right. dropped me off and picked all my friends up, and I walked and I got in the car and I looked at her and I said, "Who the hell is Robert Downey Jr. and why isn't he in every single movie?" And she, obviously knowing exactly who Robert Downey Jr. is, just laughed and laughed, and yeah. it's just so crazy to look back at how not only risky that movie was, but that casting and like you said, where Marvel was at the time, like. To yeah. be there in that moment, like that's such a monumental thing in you know Marvel history, but also just media history, culture. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh like I it's a like I said, I will forever look fondly, look back fondly on my time at Marvel and, and to to know that I was there during you know, at it around that time was uh was something special. That's awesome. And Jim, we gotta get to it. We gotta talk about it. Moon Knight. Heard you're a big Mark Spectre fan, am I right? I'm a big Mark Spectre fan, absolutely. So, you know, the man's finally getting his shot at a live action content Disney plus show expected in 2022. I just want to hear kind of your overall thoughts on what this show might look like, might feel like, how's Oscar Isaac going to handle such a complex character. And also I'm hoping you can kind of touch on the fact that this is a show versus a movie. In my opinion, you know, reading what I've read of Moon Knight, it's going to give the audience and Oscar Isaac, a lot of opportunity to really develop this depth of this character. Yeah. You know, there's so much happening within the panels of Moon Knight comics. Translating that to an eight episode show is I think just the perfect fit. Oh, absolutely. I think like, okay, first of all, look, I'm a huge, I'm the biggest Moon Knight fan I know. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's getting a TV show still blows my mind because mm-hmm. this is still like, this is a, a character who for years just gets, you know, uh, the, the easy joke is he's just Batman in a white costume and, you know, he's just Marvel's bootleg, you know, Marvel's bootleg Batman and yada, yada, yada. But like, there's so much about this character that is, that's, that has so much potential um, that, is really what gets me gets me excited because this show has the opportunity to to really meld a lot of of shows and influences together right so this show has the ability has the potential to be um you know legion uh meets meets daredevil uh meets um, you know, meets Agents of Shield in a way, right? Like that. There's, there's the. It's got the the entire Marvel universe kind of at play. Um, it's gonna, you know, the, just given the multiple personality aspects and Egyptian god connections, you know, the that the character has to play in in that um, that Legion space, and and uh, you know, a character who gets down and dirty, you know, like Daredevil does. And so, mm-hmm. like when you when you think of it like that that's almost like the perfect show right because right. like you know and so um it's but it's been interesting because the question is well where do you go 
to learn more about Moon Knight? Where do you start? What do you read? What makes the most, you know, like whatever. And um, I imagine this show will take a lot of cues from the original 80s run. Mm-hmm. Problem with the 80s run is, uh, especially for for a, a younger audience, those older comics can be can be tough to read. Right. Um, it's uh, I I remember like when I first got into comics, I would not go, I would not touch anything pre nineties basically uh, I because I just fa- I like I found it, thing. I found it, I found it boring. I didn't necessarily appreciate it. Uh, and then I was like, as I obviously started reading more and and appreciated it more, obviously I, you know, I mean, look this is a book that helped launch the career of, of legendary artist, Bill Sienkiewicz. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and so, so reading it is, is tougher, but it's probably where the show is going to take a lot of inspiration from. Now uh, the run I always point a lot of people to is the run, uh, sorry, by Warren Ellis and Declan Shelby that, um, you know, the first six issues of that run basically are like, individual episodes of a television it drops you in you know assuming you know just a little bit about moon Knight and helps fill in the 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 blanks but it's got it hits every single weird and crazy note that you you can imagine like there's one issue that basically plays like the like the movie the raid right where it's Mm -hmm. like moon Knight working his way up a building and it's just fight scene after fight scene after fight scene and shalvey just fucking nails it and then you've got like crazy crazy issues where like he's dealing with like mushroom like crazy mushroom spore stuff and like like it's it's awesome (laughs) it's a fascinating insight into into the character but like but personally for me um, it's a it's a run that doesn't necessarily get a lot of love, um, but the stuff that Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev did over their twelve issues, to me, has the most potential to be to to really be adapted. Um, That's what really, I really, yeah, it really plays into uh, the multiple personality, you know, uh, uh, multiple personalities of Moon Knight, but in a very different in a very different way, right? So it's less on the Mark Spector, Jake Lockley, um, you know, kind of uh, characters. And and it's Mark Spector dealing with Khonshu and, and, you know, pretending he's like Spider-Man or Wolverine or Captain mm-hmm. America at some points. Um, and like imagining, like there's a, a whole bit where he, he thinks he's like having a conversation with the Avengers and it's just him standing on a rooftop. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's it's a that to me is a, is a very kind of fascinating a run. And then if you just like like that that good old like sort of comic book action, um, I really love the Vengeance of Moon Knight uh, arc. Um, it only because it's got some of the uh, some early art, but in my opinion, some of the best art by Jerome Pena um, and some of those those early issues where it's just like. It's like just a nonstop action kind of thrill ride kind of thing. And then there's the the Civil War era stuff that I also imagine the show will probably pull from, sure. mainly because of how the, the uh, that run deals with Bushman being, um, you know, one of Moon Knight's main protagonists. Um, and and so so like, I don't. I, it's hard to point to one run that's like, oh, this is definitely where it's going to come from. If they look. You know, there's a lot of rumors going on right now saying that like Werewolf by Night uh, is probably going to be in it, and it makes total sense since you know he's uh, where Moon Knight first appeared. I think if I roll back, I, I you know flex flex a little bit here at my copy. Nailed uh, it. You know, love love <laughs> it. love it. 
<laughs> Love uh, the casing too. It's elite. That, absolutely. And then, uh, and then I, I'd be sorry. I'm not talking into the microphone. This is great radio. <laughs> uh, I know this is the guys. We got Power Rangers stuff. We got some Pokemon gear back there. This guy's got a collection in a half. Is it? Got a nice little cowboy hat there on the right. Leah, we gotta this step is, our background game up. I know my I I got a empty Captain America pop Funko. Right here. And I got oh, the my, new I Mysterio Funko that Leah just got. <laughs> Sweet one there. <laughs> Cap with the I thought hand. I had that's it my, somewhere. I was gonna I was gonna pull up. De- Declan Shalvey was incredibly nice uh, to draw me into uh, to to his run, and so I've been uh, basically uh, so cool. You know, very low key. Um, harassing the showrunners of the uh, of the show, being like, "Look, I'm ready to reply. I'm ready to play my cameo whenever you need me." Right? Oh, yeah. so, Yo, that's um, awesome. And we'll yeah, write so, the article about it on the direct. Yeah, see, now. there we go. It'll, it'll be perfect. <laughs> uh, you know, look, look. Brandon's trying to get Nova. I don't need to be. I don't need to be the superhero. I just look. Yeah. I'll play perfect cameo <laughs> background role in uh, in Moon Knight, and I'll be totally, totally fine. Absolutely. Um, Do you but, think uh, that yeah, Ethan Hawke is? going to play uh, a character as crazy as something like Bushman or, you know, more of a Wolverine type thing. I don't, I don't know. I, this is like, that's to me, that casting is very exciting. Yeah. Also a little, but also a little confusing. Um, I don't know where it fits. And, and honestly, if he's playing the villain in the like Bushman's not the most compelling villain. I'm sure in the hands of Marvel studios, they can make him, uh, you know, make him worth, but I don't, I don't think Ethan Hawke is the kind of person that you get to play a character like Bushman. Right. And so obviously people are saying, Oh, well then he's got to be Jack Russell. Right. And so to, to be werewolf by night, like maybe, uh, but I feel like, I feel like there's another villain at play here that is, probably not as tied to Moon Knight, but has ties to Moon Knight because I'm of the opinion that Moon Knight is probably going to start a bit of a horror corner of the of the Marvel Universe that will inevitably lead into Blade and then hopefully Ghost Rider. And then we get like a weird Midnight Suns kind of thing going Love on. Love it. Uh, um, but like, because it's weird, because the MCU... Uh, and, I, and I mentioned this uh, on it was either Comic Book Nation or Phase Zero, but to me it feels like uh, it's it, their Phase One through Three was basically the trunk of a of a tree, and it's now going off into a number of different directions where you have the gritty kind of um, uh, you know Captain America Falcon Winter Soldier uh, you know kind of branch. You've got the uh, obviously you have all the cosmic stuff. That's ha- that happen that's happening in, in Guardians and now you know more with Thor and and all that. So you got that track. You've got you just the, named me and Matt's one and yeah. two yeah. Ba- yeah. favorite parts of the MCU. That, that is that, our and yin and yang, yang on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you've got you've got the the magic stuff that's happening right now with like WandaVision and Doctor Strange and the multiverse and 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 all of that happening right now. Um, you and then and then you've got another one that's really kind of like set for for the introductions, you know, and, and kind of for that with like the, the more typical superhero fair, I guess I would sure. say, but with like, you know, your Black Panther um, and uh, you know, things that, and just even with some of the other shows that are coming out, like your um, Miss Marvel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then like, and so, and then I think, you, you know, with Blade and with Moon Knight, you have the potential to, to, you know, go down the, the horror thing. Look, Kevin Feige says all the time, like, they they're just making genre movies and they just right. ha- that happen to have superheroes in them. And so, um, and so, so that's, that's where I think like this is going to be able to open a door for them to, to explore that 
and be a way to introduce other corners of the MCU through, you know, the vehicle of, of Moon Knight, which I'm excited for. Like that's, that's the stuff I love. Like it's, if not Moon Knight, then I love Ghost Rider. And if not right. Ghost Rider, I love Blade. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm ready for all that. Ethan Hawke be a pretty good purple man. Just saying. That's not, yeah. it's not a, look, that's not a bad, that's, that is not a bad casting. He would fit Moon Knight sure. pretty well, I, I think you, too. You, you gotta watch, uh, you still gotta watch, what's it called? Um, um, Jessica Jones. Jones because I just watched the first episode last night. David Tennant oh, is phenomenal yeah. in that role. That's true. That's it. Like it's, it, it I, like, I know that obviously like, you know, it's basically common knowledge now that, you know, Charlie Cox is in Spider-Man, right? And so then mm-hmm. now the question is, uh, you know, the question now is like, what does that mean for for the rest of the Netflix characters? And so I think, you know, there's looking at do it, you know, I think you do a soft reboot with these characters, but at the same time, like some of those, ca- some of the casting is just so perfect. I mean, look, mm-hmm. Luke Cage is, is great. Um, Misty Knight is another like phenomenal casting. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin and oh. David Tennant as, as Purple Man. Like there's that, if anything, if only for like being great shows, they were also cast really well. And so- Netflix. Uh, so yeah, so, so like, I, I think Purple Man would be, would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I saw some crazy rumor that he, he was going to be Dracula. And to me, that just, that, like, here's the thing. He could just, he could end up being Conchu. Ethan Hawke right. could just and, be Conchu. That, that was another thing that I feel like not a lot of people are talking about. It's just like, and a lot, I saw someone on Twitter, like say, nah, he's not going to play Conchu. Conchu is going to be, you know, probably more CGI than not, you know, depending on kind of how they play him, you know, he, yeah. he, he can humanize, but also he could sure. also be more of that God. That's kind of what these big stars, so like Christian Bale's not going to have a lot of FaceTime in Thor Love and yep. Thunder. You know what I mean? Yep. Like he's still yep. going to get the fat paycheck. So, yeah, think, well, that's, and I think, I think, I think every door that, is open. Yeah. And I think a lot of that too is right. Like, especially like you use Christian Bale as a, a great example where, um, like Christian Bale can put all the makeup on and like, and do that role. And it doesn't, and in his mind doesn't necessarily affect him from doing his super serious movies that he still right. likes to do. And like, someone isn't looking, isn't that the guy from, uh, yeah. you know, from Thor? That's Gore God Butcher, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And so, and so, and like, that's the thing too, like, and Khonshu is not a benevolent God. Like he is a pain in Mark Spector's ass, like all the time. That's and it. so, to, and so, and so to me, like Ethan Hawke, I think can play that menacing, godlike kind of character that's that's manipulative and uh and sneaky and and really really well that like i feel like it's like the obvious choice but no one wants to like be you know they, they want it to be something else so i wouldn't right. be surprised if it's kanju but you know hey let's when they when they finally reveal it and we finally get more information mm-hmm. uh then i'll get then i'll get really excited Jim, right. thank you again so much for coming on. We are so happy to have you here. Um, anytime you want to come back and just chat comments. Dude, I you. loved it. This was fun. Thank you, Jim Biscardi. What an amazing conversation. It is so awesome to know where Marvel Comics was when Iron Man hit theaters because it was such a big moment. I love that interview. Jim, come back anytime. And guys, I, I, I'm going to call it. That's an episode. Episode 17 in the books. Please subscribe, rate, review, plug, you know, anything you can to your friends. If you know of a friend or a family member that loves the MCU, DCU, or Star Wars, please let them know about our podcast. We want to know 
what everybody is thinking. So hit us up on Twitter. Hit, make sure you follow the direct on Twitter. That is MCU direct, DCU direct, Star Wars direct, PlayStation direct, and also Xbox direct. Before we get out of here, we want to let you know what we got going on outside of the fantastical. You know, we love talking about the universes you love, but let's also talk about some other universes we love. Liam, what is your weekly recommendation? So Matt, I, I had one in my mind, but I'm realizing it's it kind of might not work because time of recording, Conor mm. McGregor is returning to the Octagon tomorrow, mm-hmm. but time you're listening, Conor McGregor will have already returned to the Octagon. Is so this a prediction? Hoping, uh, uh, okay, prediction. Uh, yeah, we'll put it on. Put your money where your mouth is, Mr. Brown's minus nine and a half. Let's go. Se- <laughs> second round knockout for Conor McGregor. He's okay. a better fighter than Poirier. He's, uh, I feel like he's more equipped to win this fight. Uh, Poirier recently just got a really defeating loss to Khabib and he's kind of the giant of the lightweight division, even though he's technically retired right now, Khabib said he would flirt with the idea of coming out of retirement, depending on how this match goes. And the money matchup right now would be Khabib Connor too. Connor did kind of get his shit rocked in the first matchup, but he has had a really big attitude change since then. He's matured a lot as a fighter. He won his last match against Donald Cerrone in 40 seconds with a shoulder knockout who does that this is a different this is a different conor mcgregor i think he's going to continue to prove that this is a new level of the notorious one on saturday will he win i really hope so because i'm giving you this prediction while it's already had while it had already gone down conor mcgregor second round knockout over dustin poirier on ufc fight island I love the prediction segment here at Weekly Recommendations. I really yeah. enjoy that because it it's takes fun. us about a day and a half to get this episode out. It gives us a little chance to put our money where our mouth is. Um, so uh, my weekly recommendation, think, think, think. Guys, I love a good viral video. You know what I mean? I'm a millennial. Liam's a Gen Zer. We are internet people, right? Um, there are certain videos where I will watch 10 times over multiple days a week. But lately... There's been one video making its rounds. It comes up every two, every year or so. I feel like I've, you know, this video has been around for a minute and to this day, very few things get me more excited than this random video of a bunch of dudes in a pub somewhere in Europe singing mad, uh, truly madly deeply by Savage Garden. And if you haven't seen it, just look up truly madly deeply pub. And it is one of the most run through a brick wall as excited as you can be videos you will ever find on the internet it's a weird weekly recommendation but i'm giving it to you i'm telling you right now if i was single i would spend every single morning of my life watching that video one time just to get ready for the day and it's just it's just good content and you know i encourage everybody to check it out I'll be your wish, I'll be your dream, I'll be your fantasy. I'll be your hope, I'll be your love, be everything that you need. I love you more with every breath, truly, madly, deeply do. I will be strong, I will be faithful, cause I'm counting on a new beginning.